Watch this. Welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Tom Mills, and today I'm joined by Sam Williams. Hello. Cal Wing. Hello. Sir Bruce Fitzpatrick. Howdy. And Chris Trot. I want to, I mean, what's the intro? I want to see more energy than that. Last time I came on here, I had the best intro ever. This one's a bit like, here's the lads, here we go. I mean, hello, boys. Lo- lovely to see you, and let's rock and roll. They always say you should never meet your heroes, Chris. You're not, but you're not a special thing anymore now. You're just a guy on the pod. <laughs> exactly. Once you do one, no one gives a shit. And once you win a net club championship, no one cares, do they? It's done. <laughs> you dropped something there, by the way, Chris. <laughs> you won yeah. something recently. I did, lads. I should have bought the trophy to show you. It's a beautiful trophy, yeah, but uh, I mean, I was pissed off I was in the net club championship anyway, to be honest. And it, when I got through 27 holes and I realised I was sneaking in on the gross, I realised why I was in the net. Because even myself, of all these years of battle scars on a golf course, I had to uh, ease myself off and just drop back to six back rather than five back because it was getting a little uncomfortable at five back. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was good fun, boys. And I believe, obviously... Uh, I'm the only one out of the five of us holding a trophy after the club championship weekends have passed. Ouch. There's <laughs> a silence from the crew. Ouch. That was a tough Saturday. Some trauma. Yeah. We had a few. What, what are we, we had a few top fives, top tens. Just, you know, keep it going. Boys, I, 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 finished, I, I finished fourth in the gross. I mean, we don't talk about that, though, do we? We talk about me dropping my lipstick. <laughs> it was a proper US Open setup, though, wasn't it, Carl? It was uh, 5,600 yards off the back. Um, 11 on the stem. 11 on the stem. The greens were genuinely brutal. And with a, with a hefty wind, a short course has never played that hard in my life. But no excuses. It just wasn't good enough. Didn't have the A game. Yeah, cheeky, cheeky little 25 mile an hour winds. Pin positions were naughty. They were on, on pretty much every slope going. Um, it was carnage. It was... I had back-to-back four putts, which I've not done since I was probably ten years old. Um, so. <laughs> how much? How much do you boys like playing short golf courses? It's something I basically didn't do much as a kid, and now I realise that I only play a short golf course. That how much fun it is. I mean, it's great, mm. right? We went and played um, Formby Ladies a few weeks ago, which is obviously up your old uh, stomping ground, I believe, Chris. Um, just so much fun, isn't it? That's like. But what, 5,100 off the back, um, hoping to get out and play Painswick at some point. That's like 4,600. It's just cool. And that's the same as Goat Hill, am I right? 100%. But, I mean, before we even get on the Goat, I think that it, it, you've already said, I'm from the Wirral, so my stomping ground is Cheshire, Lancashire. I've got a really good mate of mine, Mark Ramsdale, who we touched on it off air. He's good pals with Dana Dolquist, which is a golf coach out here who coaches out on PGA Tour. Very knowledgeable guy. Helped me towards, I don't know if I told you lads, but I won the Net Club Championship. He helped me towards <laughs> that victory. <laughs> but Ramo, which is Mark Ramsdale, he was a member of Performby. And whenever I go back, I'd still play a bit of golf with Ramo. Swings it so pure. Hits all the positions. You know, he's got the P1, P2, P3 all that jazz and you're just like it's beautiful anyway you go out you play golf with him it's great and we go around Formby ladies every time and you get there and you know when I wing one on the golf course I'm like oh here's Formby lady. ladies looks good this but you never play it and I think that that's 
now, because you touch on Goat Hill, you find this golf course that's like, I think Goat might even be 4,600 yards or, four, or touching 5,000. But, you know, you're playing with the people around you. There's like a, a Corn Ferry guy won our club championship gross. Then you've got a European tour player finishing third, X. Wow. You've got a Latin America finishing third. And then you've got little old me who hands the clubs out finishing fourth. So really, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I'm the only one who hasn't had a tour card out of all them. And I had one for about 20 minutes. But just to see, though, the flighted shots and the wedges and the control, it makes me realise, having grown up and played all these difficult golf courses, which on the Wirral and Lancashire and that area there is, that standing there and cahooning everything as hard as you can and being having the ability to hit two irons, like no higher than, you know, this room, it's not really going to help you score around these tough short golf courses that now I think are coming out and everyone is realizing that that's a lot of fun. Absolutely. So your um, Goat Hill, is that, what par is that? If it's 4,006, what is it playing? 65. And then the the standard scrap, well, they use this gin system now, which honestly, when I was a kid playing golf back in the UK, and I I think we covered it, I had a long time off golf, but you'd always get to the last three at Hoylake where I grew fortunate enough to grow up. I know you guys covered it recently on a a documentary you put on YouTube, which was fantastic, by the way. And uh, one of of you, I think it's you, Sam, got a beautiful voice for that. Beautiful, I must say. Dulcet tones. Dulcet tones. (laughs) Dulcet brummy lil. Yeah. I've had to work on lowering my diction at the end of my sentences so that it feels more classy. You've done some very good work on the fourth hole. (laughs) Yeah. By the time time it finished, though, I, I sort of, I was just about to press go on booking a flight to the UK. I was like, I'm so into this. I've got to go and play it. I played it a thousand times, but um, you know I can't even remember where I was going with that. But Hoylake and just being growing up around there, having the ability to get around difficult golf courses, then you play with all these shot makers on these short golf courses, and it, I think it's it's great. It's it's everything about what I needed for my golf game to become polished again, and hopefully graduate to playing the Gross Club Championship next year. <laughs> Well you, well, you must get an invite. You must get an invite off the back of the net win. No, the way the way it works. I was going to talk about gins and all that. The way it works is you get if you get off plus one, they let you into both division. They actually only let you play the gross, and if you're not off plus one, you can play in both. Hence, why I was actually eligible for both because I was off scratch. Now, the reason I'm saying I have no clue where my handicap is at. When you're a kid and you, you figure out your buffer zone and your competition standard scratch, I mean, you know, stood on the 16th tee that you need to play the last three holes and one under in order to make buffers. You know it every week. When you play now with this gin thing, honestly, I have no clue. So it's just like hell for a go for it. And you can you can drive it on the last at the goat. You feel like Bryson DeChambeau stood on that last tee. Granted, you can put it in the club pro's office as well, but you can drive it on the last, which I've been in his office more than I've been on the green, but you can so there's always a shot of going as low as you can, which is fun. Well, I think from one uh, from one champion to another, I think that segue is fairly fairly horrendous. What are you calling yourself a champion there? Is that the? Is well, that no, the we've just swung by the uh, the US Open, which I think we might want to spend a few minutes on. I definitely would like to talk about the US Open. So and you, did, you did mention Bryson in there. I mean, I mean, social media was alive last night, wasn't it? And I, I was I was going through Twitter, and it wasn't lacking in hyperbole about Bryson and I don't know I was interested to know what your guys takes on it but you know I look at it and thought this guy is playing world-class golf yes he's changed his swing yes he's changed his body type yes he's put on more club head speed but there's so many more depths to watching him play that last round at Wingfoot yesterday I don't know what everyone else thought but the touch and feel was incredible 
Well, he was the only one under par, wasn't he, on the last day, right? Which I think speaks volumes about the standard of golf that he was playing. And um, I think it's it's a little disappointing to see, you know, the odd sort of uninformed sports pundit on like the BBC saying that the regulating bodies need to put an end to bomb and gouge. Because I think that's a bit oversimplistic, as you say, Sam, like there was some real kind of clutch putts that he hold, hold coming down the stretch and great iron play as well. Um and I mean, you know, the whole field was missing fairways at winged foot. The fact that he was just hitting it forty yards further up the fair, further up the holes than than they were, and also had a pretty respectable driving accuracy as well. I think, you know, hats off to the guy. Like he's gone and reinvented himself. He's just committed him, himself fully to this change, and it's paid off. Like it's his first major win. I think, you know, full credit to him. I would say though, in terms of driving accuracy, um, he is the just. It, he is the U.S. Open with the fewest fairways over four rounds. Twenty-three over four rounds. I mean, but what was the field average though for the week? Because I, I think wing foot in general was pretty. Well, I mean, was we should brutal, probably we should probably defer to Mister Trot on this because I'm sure he's got all the uh, all, all, all the all the insights from the from the tour truck on it. But um, yeah, I mean, like when when you look at when you look at guys like you know. Matt Wolf and Deshambo, who who are up near the top of the leaderboard there the whole whole way through, Chris. Like, what are you kind of? What's your take on it? So, I, I think it, I'm really happy first off to hear the answers that you're given. And obviously, living here in the states, I don't watch British commentary, but I had a few text messages or things sent through to me or screenshots about things that had been said by some fairly renowned British commentators, and it was touching on the Bryson thing and. Our jobs have changed so much, meaning that working out on the tour service in these players. And first off, I'm in the equipment game. Bryson's not, without my work hat on, what Cobra have done there was only going to happen. Great effort because the guy is launching it so high and therefore with the speed you generate spin. So you have to manipulate the CG and the loft on the club in order to give you the perfect launch and spin window. And Cobra and Ben Showman, the guys out there, and there's a guy called Tio Tomolovsky that works for them. I mentioned him, I think, in the first podcast. He used to work at TaylorMade. They have done a phenomenal job. That is such a hard job to get him where he's at. He's seriously high maintenance. I mean, we're talking like the best looking bar, bird in the bar times 20 high maintenance. Like it's like if you go date three, you're in a lot of work here. And I, I mean, it is what it is, but it's all valid. At least with him as a golfer, everything he's trying to do is valid. Now, I walked off there to go to my bookcase, which I haven't read, but you boys are far more intellectual than I am. Have you read this? Every shot counts, Mark Brody. Yep. Okay, lads. Yeah, well, Okay, I haven't read it all, but we have someone that I call uh, the briefcase wanker who works at TaylorMade, who is so smart. This guy, and I don't know, again, I don't know if I'm overlapping and crossing over a previous interview that we did, um, but he used to work for the Ministry of Defence and he would look mm. at ammunition going down in Iraq and stuff. I think I did touch on this. Anyway, yeah, yeah. the guy now looks at analytics and, it, I mean, these people, they're, they're on the money. How can you go into a tournament like that how can you say, I don't like where the game's going? How can, it, It's phenomenal. It's amazing. I can't physically do it. Now, to the point, bringing it back to what we can all relate to, I can play golf last weekend or two weeks weekends ago with a couple, three really good players who've all made money playing golf. 
And there's an element of me that walks off. It might be slightly blurry these days, given the lifestyle I have. But you're like, it's not unobtainable. You can hit the wedge shots like that. You can hold the putts. You can learn it. But I'm telling you now, when I stand and I watch Bryson hit club balls and I feel the vortex of that club coming down, that is getting unobtainable. It, it, for me, it is unobtainable. Now, for you strapping lads, it might be obtainable. But that's what I want the top-level golf to be. I want kids coming out that want to go there, that want to play AJGA, that want to play for England boys, that want to play for Scotland boys, that have career path and uh, views of wanting to do that for a living, and they're 16, 17. I want them to feel like they can get it. But little old me that goes out and plays golf and the best days are maybe behind me as a player, I want I want to be entertained. And that was pure entertainment, and I think that... Touching on the stats, we know from Mark Brody's stuff, who's a boffin in himself, which makes him very difficult to listen to and communicate with. But the book and what he touches on just gives you the numbers and the game is going to go that way. I mean, just keeping this role in a second here, I watched a YouTube chip for a clip. I got young kids and my kids obviously growing up here don't know anything really anything about soccer. And we watched something on YouTube with Steve Gerrard. And it was Gerard at Melwood, and it was talking about how he was embracing in the later parts of his career the analytics that Liverpool Football Club have on offer to him. There's a player who's obviously played for Liverpool for 20-plus years, but he's, he's embracing it. And then he leaves it saying, I always want to be the best player at training. I always want to be. That's the attitude. You've got the desire. You've got the talent. Now you're using the technology around you with the people that couldn't achieve it, but they still want to help you. And I think fortunately in my role, I get to help these guys achieve that by trying to help them with stats. And that's what Wolfie is touching on it. I mean, yeah, Wolfie's young and Wolfie goes out there at 21 and, you know, there'll be a lot written. I haven't looked at it all, but I'm sure there'll be a lot written about things that he could have done differently. But he is 21, and he's already blitzing it, Miles. I mean, it's great to watch, in my opinion. He's up there with Bryson, isn't he? I think he was past Bryson. Yeah. And to be fair, I didn't, didn't I? I knew uh, Wolfie was young, but I didn't appreciate he was 21. And um, and even when they just before they were teeing off last night, sort of they're doing a bit of a recap and like who is Matt Wolf? And it, most of it was the stuff that he was finishing off his college career, like this time last year, and everything else and it's um first ones of the scene and it's um to be fair final round first us open but the thing is cal cal i don't know if you um if you watched the game that they played out of seminal did you see that where the four yeah, of them yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah did you see um we'll, I'll, we'll touch on it i mean it happened it happened uh, dj hits one down the fairway wolfie blasts one in the wasteland and then he made that comment didn't he about um the other uh, one they played in wisconsin i think and, and look, Wolfie is that kid that you went to school with and you either he was either a year above and dominated the footy team, everyone liked him, or he was a couple of years below and you knew he was going to be playing in two football teams above and he was going to be... But the PGA Tour is like that. You have to find, as a player, as an agent, as someone who works on the trucks, as someone who's in the media, you have to find your group of people you have to find your lane and you have to basically find your comfort zone. And Wolfie is finding it. And I really feel that when he does find it, which he is finding it, and as he matures into it, you're going to see some great stuff. I mean, Bryson's only 26, 27. That's the other thing that jumped out of me from watching that last night. You think the guy's 35. I mean, he's, he's still a pup, you know what I mean? 
And there's so much shit written about him, I think, as well, where, you know, firstly, Wolfie, like you say, 21. If he'd have gone on to win that, he'd have been the first person to win the US Open as a debutant since Francis Wiemet. So kind of rolling back the years, over 100 there. Bryson, like you say, yes, he's kind of invested in his physique, his mechanics, everything he's doing with the equipment. But don't forget the guy won a US Am. You know, only very special people win a US Am. And an NCAA. And an NCAA. And, you know, mm. there's only, I think, Jack and Tiger have gone on to win both the US Open, NCAA and um, US Am. He's in pretty esteemed company and you don't get there just by getting jacked and, and, and investing in clubs and all that sort of stuff. You've got to have some, you know, kind of raw talent. I feel, yeah, I, I think with Bryson, you know, he he's not necessarily covered himself in glory over the last few years with some of the comments he's made. And maybe that's kind of what plays into um, the animus that some people feel towards him as this kind of symbol of just, you know, bombing the ball all over the place and reducing these great golf courses to pitch and putts. I think, you know, there are there are loads of guys out there who aren't as outspoken and drive the ball miles who maybe, you know, get a get a better time with the media and some of the sort of commentators and aren't, um, you know, not their every word is scrutinized. But yeah, I mean, to 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 do what he's done, like to to invest so much time into it outside of golf. I mean, it seems like the guy literally plays golf and plays Fortnite and that's essentially it and works out in the gym. Um, who knows? I'm, I'm, one thing I, I do think is maybe worth maybe diving into a little bit more deeply is whether, because I think statistically since he's come back, he's not been as strong with his wedge play. And I guess on a course like Wingfoot, which is playing long and you may be not hitting so many wedges into the par four, whether that kind of weakness relative to the rest of the field is minimized slightly but i could just be clutching at straws there i think i think before we go there though the thing that we have to touch on and you started to take it down i don't think any podcast will go there with this if we look at bryson as a marketing machine okay yes he's gone and changed himself but i stayed watching the coverage i don't know what the uk coverage like but to hear what he would say in the interview because i was interested in that 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 really essentially is what i work in sports marketing what is he going to say how is he gonna who's he gonna thank how is he gonna cover this what's he gonna do and he had from his agent a piece of piece of paper probably handwritten paper but he thanked every sponsor now Mm. it looked a little bit read off the list and whatever but he still got it in. It's his stage and he went there first. Now, if you watch NASCAR over here, which is obviously the equivalent of Formula One, I like Formula One, but NASCAR, those athletes are, or drivers, athlete drivers, are trained to, to cover it. Bryson took golf there for the very first time for me, and that will be unnoticed, but it won't be unnoticed subconsciously and it won't be unnoticed by his sponsors. The next thing he did when he goes on social media and he posts... He actually made reference to, like, I've done things my way. And I thought, I, for one, as I'm not a Bryson hater and I'm not a Bryson lover, but I went from being, like, neutral on the guy to, I actually I actually like this guy. I think he's got it. I think he's going to be great for the game. And if this is the talisman that takes us forward, I'm a big believer that we need an American hero. Spieth was taking that. Dustin Johnson has taken it to a point. The game is 50% of the industry is here in the States. It needs an American hero. And if Bryson's the guy, I'm kind of cool with that. And then, yeah, I'll let one of you boys hit on the wedge subject. Obviously, before we go there, he's playing graphite shafts in those wedges. That, at some point, I know Faldo hits on it all the time. Maybe it's not great. You know what I mean? I mean, it's tough to play touch and feel shots with graphite shafts. 
Especially right. as they're the uh, same length as a seven iron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you did you guys hear the Bobby Jones reference again? I don't know if you're watching Azinger and that coverage on the commentary, but he it said that Bryson Augusta has walked past Bobby Jones's golf club several times. In a, they're in a cabinet at Augusta, and he's noticed that Bobby Jones played one length in irons. Yeah, that's right. I thought that was interesting. Now, it will be interesting, to Bruce's point, to see if he then goes shorter in his wedges. Well, a couple of weeks we did the a couple of weeks ago we did the Sid Matthew pod, so obviously 90 years since Bobby Jones' Grand Slam. So we bought the absolute oracle of Bobby Jones on. The guy lives out in Tallahassee. He's an attorney, absolute fantastic guy. And that's one of the things he ruled out. He said before Bryson was doing it, Bobby Jones had figured out that if he could get same shaft lengths, he could actually simplify the mechanics of the swings. So. They weren't same shaft, though. They were, they were in sets, weren't they? So they were like 5, 4, 6, 7, 8, 9. So they, they dueled them up as opposed to them all being the same length. I do believe that's right. But um, going back to your point about like um, thanking the sponsors, I, I've got to argue that a little bit because I feel it's a bit disingenuous, especially when you say that it does look like he's reading it from a sheet. But perhaps that's more of a more of an image thing because another thing I want to talk about and I want to get your boys' views on is um, there was a lot of ridicule that he went out after his third round at 8.30 at night because the temperature and dew points were right and hitting balls because that's what it was going to be like the next day. And loads of people were like, this guy is fucking crazy. Like, what's he doing? <laughs> and then I um, guarantee you, it's just you, Cal, you and Bryson, but I guarantee you if Rory McIlroy had gone out there at 8.30 at night because he felt like the temperature was the same, they would have said, what dedication, what a lad that he's gone out there and he's hitting that. It's properly... Oh, I'm not sure. It's just an image thing. I don't know, because wasn't there a... Uh, there was a image of Justin Rose doing that Shinnecock a few... A couple of years ago, and people were like, oh, come on, mate. Like, I mean, who are we as armchair pundits, particularly the four, you know, the, the four of us, not not you, Trossy. I mean, I know you, you, you're, you're, you've got a much better insight on these things than we do, but I guess we would look at that and say, surely all of your work's got to be done pre tournament and whatever you're working on the night before the final round, like that's that's a little bit too late in the day. I don't know. I think, yeah, but, say, uh, uh, but, if not, if, but you must have played, I mean, we joke about it, but I play competition golf and I would spend a lot of time after tournament rounds hitting balls. And I would have done that. Now, I think to your point, he's, of course, he's playing up to it. He's not gone out there because the moisture levels are where they need to be and all that. That's complete BS. He's gone out there because he's not driven it the way he wants to drive it. But then he's played on that because he's building his brand. And I think that's my point is that, yes, it doesn't look genuine, but... It, it, at least someone is making reference to it. I mean, really, has there been the greatest reference was probably Y Yang when he lifted the golf bag above his head. He beat Tiger in the PGA. That was a sponsor's dream for the golf bag company. I mean, obviously, I know that because it decks the walls at TaylorMade as one of the greatest moments in history. Um, but the point is, is that all these companies having come, I'm coming from that light. That's where I live. They're screaming out for it, whether it's genuine or not. They're, the cost of a TV slot, even just to have a logo on the front of hat on a player, it, it's getting ridiculous how much it costs. I mean, I, I listened to 
some of that No Laying Up podcast, and they had Jim Nance on there, and he's talking about the coverage and how much time we actually spend watching adverts rather than watching the golf. And then they talk about the playing through piece where they move it off into a thumbnail. So then you're like, if you're actually watching it, you have to go up to the screen and go, what the fuck's happening here? What's he doing? You know what I mean? And it's like, it's, 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 that's why I think if the sport can get it in, there's got to be room for everyone because we need sponsors in the pro game as much as we need eyes on the golf, as much as we need amateurs wanting to be their stars, because then it all comes down to rounds go up at Goat Hill, rounds go up at Cleve Hill, is it, where you guys are talking about? I know that we're, it's close. Just public golf courses grow, is what I'm saying. People come in the game, and people like us who are fortunate enough Brucey touches on it. Yeah, we're kind of armchair pundits. I'm with you there. But we also love the game. So the game and anyone listening to this podcast and anyone understanding it all starts to benefit of it, which is on it, which is why I'm not sitting here hating statistical guys writing books like Mark Brody, Sean Foley talking about the golf swing, Dana talking about it, me hopping on about golf clubs, you boys covering it all. It all comes back to helping the pie. Exactly. He's just got everyone talking. And it's... Um... Yeah, you can't help but admire it, in my opinion. He's, you know, he set his stall out. He goes, right, I've got to put three or four stone on to sort of hit, get my speed up, everything else. And the way he's done it is um, is incredible. Do you not think Bryson, though, just sort of represents everything the golf industry doesn't want to have, like especially like the old boys, the commentators and that, that invariably are old players that smoked cigars and got pissed and all they want to do is turn up on raw talent, no train, no balls, get out there, shoot at 69, feel like you're a hero. And then you've got Bryson, who's basically saying, I mean, he is incredibly talented. Don't forget, before he went crazy, he was an NCAA and then a US Am. And, but now he's obviously really taken to the next level. And he's got big and he's basically saying, if you hit the gym and get fit and get strong, you're going to get better. And it kind of represents everything that golf... I don't know. I think but, maybe sometimes you're in your own echo chamber with it. So maybe if, you, if you're a kind of a, an absolute golfing nerd on this, you're going to come up against golfing purists who invariably are going to hold someone like Seve as their biggest hero. We all love Seve. You can't, you can't enjoy golf and not love Seve. But what Seve stood for is the complete antithesis of what Bryson's about because Seve's all about guile and flair and kind of just bring in, you know, natural shot-making ability. And Bryson's all about statistics and percentages. And I think... That's probably why you get a lot of this hater stuff where people are kind of on his case and just trying to bag him because, you know, he's playing, you know, golf by numbers. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it'd be naive to think that, and then that, then the conversation, which I kind of want to move us on to is kind of course set up. And, you know, there now seems to be this constant week in week out cycle of critiquing the courses, the venues, how they're set up and what the champion they're producing is. And I think that's just a, a bit of a dead end debate to be fair, because, you know, the USGA have gone out there and said, well, let's pinch the fairways into about five yards wide. Let's make the course super long, grow the rough up. Okay, they've, they've, they've chosen a course that's got pretty good access to the front of the green that isn't usually guarded. But, you know, clearly people are now saying, well, we need to do something more to make sure Bryson doesn't win or the longer hitter doesn't win. It's about finding a blended approach to me that means the best golfer wins, not, not necessarily about making a certain type of player prohibitive to win. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, com I think com com completely it makes sense. And uh, I mean, uh, to the first point, I think it's brilliant that he's disrupting the game. I think Tiger disrupted the game. 
Seve disrupted the game. Faldo disrupted the game, all in the way in which they wanted to do it. Now you've got a guy who, he's tipping his cap to history, but he's taken on the modern, and he's very respectful with it. And the other thing is, he he went to SMU, which for anyone listening to this over in the States, I'm just getting an understanding of what it means to go to some of these huge colleges in America. And SMU is a big deal. I mean, you need to be the 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 right. It gives us, it sends out, in my opinion, I'm going to be careful here, it sends out a stereotypical person comes through SMU and Bryson is very respectful of that as to who he is and what he is and what he stands for. He represents that college well. And I think the the American viewer and the American golf fan and the American who turns up in his sports coat with his little patches on the arms and goes and plays Seminole, he's going to have a bit of respect for that, to be honest with you, um, because SMU's real deal. And, you know, the kid's coming through real deal. He's respecting that. And he'll be liked in America. Um and, and like I touched on before, it's 50% of the industry. I get everything you boys are saying, and a bit of me wants to stay living there too, but things move on, and we've got to move on with it. And now the guy wins with a huge lead at Wingfoot, but, you know, it, we've seen it. it he just got it done that way. I don't think, I think if we play there every week for the next 10 weeks, Bryson doesn't win all 10. No. But I think if you if you think about U.S. Open setup, I think they're kind of handicapping themselves by trying to get to level par. Because I think if you look at the tournament that invariably produced the most varied winner, it's probably the Open at St. Andrews, where you can hit it anywhere, but you need to be as strategic as you can do. I mean, you've had a Tiger Woods there, you've had a Jack Nicklaus there, you've had a Zach Johnson. Yeah, I don't think that's varied. Like conjecture. I actually would say that's like conjecture. I wouldn't say that's varied though, Mills. I mean, I actually think, and maybe we're going on a really small sample size and scientists would say it's not, you know, it, it's too small and you can't, you know, read into it too much. But what they do say about St. Andrews that it is that over the last few opens it's held and we'll see, I guess, in 2022, what the, you know, w- which champion it throws up there. But it has identified pretty much the best players in the game at that point in time. You know, you had Zach Johnson, who is a, probably a Hall of Famer, I guess, you know, two majors, one more than anyone apart from DJ and Tiger, I think since 2007 or so, um, or certainly in that patch between, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spieth chasing him down. Yeah, you you've got Tiger who's won there, Louis Oosthuizen who's won there, who's you know finished second in every major and obviously, um, you know, had a stellar European Tour and PGA Tour career too. I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I, I don't know. Maybe I haven't read enough of like Mark Brod- Brody and Scott Fawcett and Lou Stagner and what those guys have to say. Um, because there is an argument, I guess, that if you grow the rough up and make it, you know, pinch the fairways in as tight as they were at winged foot, you're probably going to just, you know, advantage the longer hitters like Bryson, because I guess people would say everyone's going to miss fairways. It's not like there's going to be a short hitter who can just go and hit 90% of fairways a week. Like even those guys are still going to miss the odd fairway. And if you're just further up there and able to get a wedge on it out of a chewy lie rather than trying to, you know, get a seven iron on it, then maybe pinching in the fairways and growing the rough up is just to kind of uh, counterintuitively it's it's helping out people like Bryson and DJ and Wolfie I don't know I would I would counter it to say that and I would agree that that I know we're being sidetracked but that it's identifying the greatest players at the time but they are all varied they all have different strengths and they all hit the ball different distances and they've got different sort of 
you know abilities but that's a, that's just where i feel on it anyway that, that that aim to get scratch and trying to brutalize the course i think if they just let any score win you might find a more varied winner on the on the on the great players piece though boys when you sign a player or when you look for a kid you want them to be exceptional in one area so i'm going to i'm certainly not knocking on this guy but i worked with a pro called michael gligich last week at the kingdom lovely guy canadian tour player plays the pga tour we we went through his stats and we before we start the fitting before i start any fitting if i'm serious about it with a tour player i need stats i need a, a little book created by the guy i told you about and I walk out on the range, and there you go. And basically, everything he did was PGA Tour average. If you look at Zach Johnson, Zach Johnson is the best wedge player in the world. Certainly was when he was winning these tournaments we're talking about. If you look at Tiger, best iron player in the world when he's winning these tournaments. If you look at Louis, it may be an outlier, but I would imagine iron play driving was exceptional. You know, if you're going to be a player that dominates in a certain area, you have to be better, best in class in one of those categories or two, and then you can fall off in the other. But if you're just average in all of them, you're only ever going to be PJ Tour average, which, by the way, is no mean feat, and I'm totally cool with being PJ Tour average. It's okay, that, isn't it? I'm just saying that now we're talking about elite elite versus good player. But do you think uh, the the, I mean, you know, about the setup? Do you think the U.S. Open, the USGA, will look at this now and think, perhaps this isn't the route that we want anymore? I think they're bringing on players, aren't they? Um, who's the guy? They've got the the big character who played on tour a few years ago. Now works for the USGA. Jason Gore. Jason Gore now works for the USGA. So they're bringing on people to bridge the gap between. I'm a, a golf fan, but I'm an amateur through, and I work in golf, uh, and I'm a PGA Tour, PGA, USGA member of staff, through to, okay, I've played high tour level. So I think you're going to see it change without doubt, and I think they're going to bring in the opinion of some people that can certainly guide them and help them. They're already showing that's what they're going to do. So I think, yeah, you will see the courses change, but I think they, they wanted Wingfoot to play difficult. It did. It maybe could have been a bit drier, right? It could have been a bit more crispy. Um, but with greens, that undulating, you're somewhat limited. I know the coverage here, they started showing a rules official from the USGA would come on every sort of hour and a half and give you a rules tip. And one of the rules things he talked about was when you mark your ball and you can't get your ball down behind your marker because obviously the undulation or the wind or whatever and where you're allowed to move your ball to. And I sat and thought about that and I thought, I wonder if there's been a mistake here on the golf course setup because why would they cover that? No one's golf ball is moving on the green. No one's golf ball is even oscillating. They, no one's really getting these. So I think they might have wanted it to burn out a little bit more to make it a bit more USGA brutal. Um, but yeah, I think they will look to adjust golf courses accordingly. The greens were absolutely outrageous, weren't they? When you looked, when you got to see them side profile, sort of like side on, they were frightening. I mean, I, you kind of feel for people like McElroy, you know, watching him here, really good putt up on the first hole. And then all of a sudden, you know, leaving there with double from what, you know, should have been really a kick in par. You sort of couldn't help but think, shit, this is just... It, this is such fine margins now and you are out the tournament in like the space of two inches on a putt, which I mean, you know, it'd be remiss not to, for a fleeting mention for Danny Lee. I mean, you could see the frustration wearing on him there. 
But that was round one, though, wasn't it? That was round one, and he was in okay shape. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the other caveat I'd probably um, chuck in there is maybe this US Open had a slightly different feel because of, obviously, you know, reasons such as COVID and the disrupted schedule. Um, you know, playing in September, I guess that has its has its benefits, but also, you know, maybe impacts on the course condition a little bit too, as Trotty alluded to there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm just woefully uninformed, but it feels like a, a sort of strange next few weeks we're going to have or, or next couple of months, in fact, with the Masters being played in November and kind of, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, how the tour looks and how things are shaping up heading into the Masters because I guess most people put their money on on DJ going into this week after just absolutely devastating form in the playoffs and, you know, winning the Northern Trust by a crazy number of shots and obviously winning the, the Tour Championship and only just being um, pipped at the penultimate, penultimate event by by John Rahm. Um, I mean, Bryson, in a way, he was kind of flying under the radar, I think, going into the US Open. I got to, I got to just jump in on that one with DJ. Uh, I saw a tweet that was put out by uh, Solly from No Laying Up uh, when he was looking at the uh, at Matt Wolf's and um, and Bryson's drives down nine. Did any of you catch this? No. So he'd gone onto the PGA t- Stat website to see how their long how their long drives had compared for that day compared to everybody else's because they both like tanked it down nine and like um, I think Bryce I think no uh, Wolfie had about 160, 160 and something like that. Anyway. He showed an image of the of that ninth hole with all the stats for that day put on it. And DJ, I don't know what you've been selling him, Trotty, but he had a hundred, he had a four hundred and seventeen yard drive down that ninth hole. <laughs> it was a country mile ahead of everybody. I think he had hundred and twelve in or something like Sounds that. Sounds like you're teeing him up for an ad here, Tom. No, it was just, <laughs> it was. I don't know whether he's hit a sprinkle ahead or what's happened there, but it was four hundred and seventeen yards. Yeah, I mean, look, the guy can can absolutely crush it. I mean, it takes you back to that Hawaii tee shot he hit a couple of years ago. I think we had M5 or whatever out, and he hit it to sort of that. I mean, I know that was downhill or whatever, but, I mean, that was 420 or something. I mean, look, it's super impressive, and it's it's relevant when you see these guys hit it. You understand what they do and how they do it, why they want to hit shape they hit because of the distances they hit it. So, I mean, Dustin hits cut nine and a half times out of ten. So if he's hit that shot there, he's probably turned one over for the first time in the day. And then, as you say, got a hard bounce and off you go. It's miles down there. Um, But I think touching on one of the questions I'd want to raise at this point, do you boys think we see Wolfie and Morikawa in the mix the way we have if we have fans, especially given Wingfoot is New York? I was thinking that last night, especially as he was sort of going down a first some of those uh, early holes and even probably that mid part of the round where it was, it was getting pretty heated around where they both sort of made two Eagles. And I did think to myself, I was like, what are these guys thinking? If those greens are absolutely packed with fans and the fairways and that's, it's got to have an effect, right? I think so. It's different kind of pressure, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's something that I think being out on tour as opposed to just kind of, you know, using resources like Decade and other kind of insights into course management, I'm sure that can prepare you really well for, you know, how to go and play these tricked up courses. But there's no substitute for playing out on tour for five, 10 years or whatever and being in the heat of battle, 
you know, in and amongst thousands of fans in these sort of semi amphitheaters that you get out on out on tour. Um, yeah, I guess we'll never know, but um, well, maybe we will. If, I mean, we'll, if we'll just sort of next year, we, we've talked about it in the past, haven't we? And I think there's studies that show that some people respond in two different ways, don't they? To when you've got the pressure of kind of the crowd around you and some people almost, it it charges them and it brings on the adrenaline rush that produces the best and other people, you know, almost kind of, you know, push, puts people back into themselves. And I don't know, I mean, you, you, you know, it's probably not our place to call on that one, but you know, it is an interesting one to think if you had, you know, 10, 15,000 spectators around Wingfoot yesterday, with, I mean, those New Yorkers are a loud bunch. I don't know what it's like out in California, Trotty, but the New Yorkers have got some got some lungs on them. And I'd imagine if you put 15,000 of them out there, it would be a completely different atmosphere altogether. Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to go out there and say, I think you see Tiger put on a better effort, to be honest with you. I think, I think Tiger's at a point in his career, boys, where it's turning up to play what in, I get it, it's a US Open, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but... You know, these these college, they're still college guys. They're still 21 coming out, and it, it just takes so much heat off all of them. It doesn't take away from what they're achieving. But I think Wolfie may even have reacted the other way. If he's got people yelling and howling, maybe you see him do a bit more. I mean, like I alluded to, I think the crowds are going to love him. I think he's a great guy. I think everyone over here is going to like him. He's got all the makeup to be an American star, and New York would have loved that. And I think that we as fans, look, we can't argue because we got to see a US Open on TV this weekend. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. And then you become relying, reliant on the media and the commentary. And at times, and I felt for the commentators, you know, what I'm watching is is stale. It's difficult. I'm hearing things that I'm not interested in. It's like, you know, just let me watch the golf. You know, put more golf shots on. I don't care if it's Danny Lee missing 15 putts from four feet because he's using Scotty Cameron, but put it on the TV. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it goes back to what um, goes back to what Rory was saying last week. He just said it doesn't have the same doesn't have the same buzz. I, I can't no. doesn't quite give me the same get up and go. And it's probably the only way we can probably look at it. Look at it, especially Sam will relate to this. Is that someone passes him a Bex Blue and goes, "Have fun on that one." <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'll tell you what, though, you can talk about watching more golf, but that that closing stretch coming in, and it, it was made a little bit harder to watch because you knew who was going to win, but it was slow. I mean, it was slow. There's no getting away from it. It was chronic. And, I mean, I, I, hard to know, but you can't help but pin an awful lot on Bryson. He's obscenely slow over the shots. I think it's systemic in the game, though, isn't it? I mean, it, it's 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 throughout. It's it's un it's unfair to well, point the finger one. at do one they, person. Do they take the um, the green books away? Definitely. Whatever they've got, whatever he's looking at every two seconds. Because I mean, he said uh, to be fair, he goes, he goes. Look, I know I've got it out. I'm looking at it, sort of a hell of a lot. But then, I, but then he goes, which is quite funny. He goes, but I walk really quickly in between shots. <laughs> sort of. Tries to make up the difference. Mm. But the thing is, if you give a guy like Bryson that much information, he's going to use it. So you've just yeah. got to take it away. If you want it to speed up, you, they, there is an art of re- reading greens, isn't there? Yeah, when he wanted to use his compass on the green books, I think they, they said that's a step too far. Yeah, I mean, s- slow play, we've talked about it to the death on this pod before, and I guess loads of other media outlets have talked about it too. And it's, uh, yeah, I guess I'd come back to what I said before. It's just the example it sets on the sort of younger generations or those who are aspiring to get into the game obviously you know it's not too much sort of uh skin off our nose really to watch that 
on TV, you know, yeah. he feels a little bit dull, but I think it's more just the example it sets amongst junior golfers and college golfers. Yeah, he's got to be difficult to play golf with. Could you imagine teeing it up with him in the final? <laughs> and, and I know yeah. that Wolfie is a pro, I get it. But and, it, but and the commentator, I actually haven't looked at this. Maybe you guys can help me. The commentator here in the US said, oh, these two have never played together. And I was like, didn't they play the final round in Detroit together? That was what I was thinking, because it can't be easy to play golf with. I'm going to find that out later, because it, it sat, didn't sit well with me. Well, uh, Wolfie's first victory. It were, no, the, no, there were different groups there, because Bryson finished before, and then Wolfie hold that eagle putt. But Detroit, right. where Bryson won, I thought Wolfie and Detroit were the final group, when he won that red trophy that went up, and it was uh, like yeah, a T-peg the- the 3M. Bruce or... is pretty good at Googling mid-pod Trotty, so we'll have an answer for you in about 15 <laughs> seconds. So just picking up on that, though, I think it is an interesting point. So, I mean, I'll give you an example, because when we spoke a few weeks ago, Trotty, um, you pricked um, certainly my attention to Casey and started watching him really closely. And then Harding Park, I was really rooting for the guy big time. Maybe that was because I had a few quid on him, but also, you know, really wanted to see him get it done. And I watched him playing with Brooks around that final stretch and they got through to about the 15th hole. And I just remember seeing Brooks stopping in the fairway, kind of telling them there was clearly some camaraderie. They were telling him some funny stories. And I got the feeling that Brooks was genuinely thought, it's my job. I'm going to do what Tom Mills did in the club championship and I'm going to bring this guy home. I'm probably wide of the mark, but I sensed in that that there was, Brooks was trying to create an atmosphere where it's enjoyable to play with. I'm not saying that the other two were trying to put each other out of their games, but I just got the feeling that it would feel like a very lonely place all of a sudden on that golf course in that sort of back stretch, particularly when you're going kind of mano a mano, whereas, you know, Brooks by that time had played his way well and truly out of contention at the PGA and Casey was really the man in the frame. But it just goes to show, I think, the kind of environment that you're in on that, particularly when you need to produce the right golf, you know, it's got to be a factor. I think, I think, I think when you look at it, um, first off, Casey, this tournament just gone, horrific start, still had a great tournament. I mean, yeah, that's the first finish. thing. The next thing I want to say about Casey, really bad reputation from when I first started on tour. He was a tightest player. He was always great with me. I'm going back early 2000s, played in Europe. He played our driver a little bit. He was brilliant. He was never a dick at all. And then a lot of people would be like, oh, I don't like, bro. I don't like Casey. Don't like Casey. I'm like, whatever. He seems completely fine. Then obviously the Louis Oosthausen um, Open at St. Andrews. I mean, he was pushing Louis all the way. And it was the Euro Asia Cup a few years ago and the Euro players all came back from that. I didn't go to it. But they came back from Asia and they were all talking about Casey basically being amazing, being the guy that everyone wanted to play with. There was a problem player in the team. I won't mention his name. And Paul stood up and said, I'll play with him. He, and he, you know, he carried that guy through. Anyone who was nervous, Casey would play with them. And I think it gave, became, over the last four or five years, very... Uh, I became very aware of it, that he's a player's player. So I think when you look at the PGA Tour and you look at Brooks, I think Brooks has sat there and gone, well, you know, I'm playing with Casey out of pure respect. I know that if this was roles reversed, Casey would be, he's a player's player. And you can yeah. tell it when he did, he's very professional in his interviews. He gets the banter. He understands it. He's a good pro. And, I, you know, obviously I'd love to have seen him win a major. I worry that it's passed him by. He's aware that he's never going to hit it that far. That also makes him amazing that he plays within the lanes he's in. But, um, you know, the bottom line is, is that I think, yeah, 
there's an element of Brooks knows I'm playing with a guy that is an out and out player. There's no point, in, you know, there's no point in any tomfoolery for want of a better phrase, but I'm playing with a legit guy. I might as well do what I'm paid to do here as a professional golfer and help him get home. Yeah, I mean, comparing that to what happened in the US Open, I mean, they didn't look like there was a huge amount going on. But the fact that you've got the, the microphones between the players, like they were always sort of, you know, good shot, good putt, whatever, but it didn't look like there was tons going on between them. But then again, I don't know how much Bryson does communicate with with other people around on tour. But um, in terms of US Open, I think the, the one thing we do need to cover is Harris English's horrendous start, where he lost a ball. He's in the contention. You know, he's only seven shots off. Not not huge, really. Lost a ball first hole. I mean... World-class bounce back, though. Yeah. It was Stuck a, another one down, got up and down, like, from absolutely nowhere out of a trap, and then drained a bunker shot on the next hole for birdie. That was... Um, that was some mental fortitude. If if you've ever seen any like class act, hats off to the guy. To be fair, I feel his um, his start goes back to what we were saying earlier. If they were the fans and the patrons were there, they probably would have found that ball. Yeah, hundred percent, never in question. I've never seen a player lose the ball in the rough before in that kind of scenario. You'd have well, it would have been, probably been trampled down by that stage in the tournament. But you and know, he's got three hundred sets of eyes looking for it. Yeah, of course. Three minutes times three hundred. But does he have the bounce back he has if all the fans are there and you never know what's being said? It's New York. It's not, you know, the fans are going to tell you how it is. Like, horrific shot, what you're doing mm. over here anyway. You know, you can't <laughs> shoot that. What's that first team shot? You know what I mean? Does he yeah. come back and do what he's done? I mean, he's had a great tournament. He's a great player. He swings it pure. And he's on a, he's on a good trajectory to be a good golfer. So I think, you know, again, he's already been a good golfer once. So, you know, I think... He got what he deserved in the end. He played a good tournament. He finished in a good spot. Mm. Yeah, he had a bit of a bad break at the start. But, you know, was he going to win it? Would it have changed Bryson's situation? I don't I think that was on Wolfie to do, to be honest. And Mm. it's a big ask. It's a big ask. Yeah. I think if he was playing a a TP5, he would have found the first fairway. (laughs) I think if it was a pick, he'd have found the ball in the rough, to be honest with you. Yeah, picks. We might have to do a full, do you want to do a full advert for that right now? I mean, I can if you want to go there. Right, we cannot keep queuing you up for ads any longer. So we've got a we've got a little bit of an off off spell now. We've got some wraparound action and whatnot happening before we get to Augusta in November. Um, Trotty, what yeah. are you going to be doing with your next few weeks? What's what's in the what's in the pipeline for you? I'm actually hitting the road here, so I've got uh, the next two at home, and then there's two in Vegas and one at Sherwood Country Club, which I'm looking forward to going to up in LA, which I'm sure uh, Shadow Creek in Vegas as well. Those two courses wow. are going to give a unique winner. So I've actually got the beauty is for those of the, you who can't do the quick geography, I live in California and it's Vegas, Vegas, California. So it's not too much playing time, which I enjoy given that. Obviously, there's this COVID troubles going on and it's limited restriction. It's difficult. So that my actual job has not been as fun as it usually is based on all that. Air travel here in the States is a little funky right now and hotels are a little funky. So I got two weeks in California where I'll play a bit of golf and then uh, do some YouTube stuff, do some more Instagram stuff, but mainly YouTube. I'm kind of getting that backing up and then I'm hitting the road. And then, yeah, we'll go from there. I've actually got the truck coming back to Carlsbad a week today. So I'll be filming a lot of stuff on the truck, probably do some tutorials on grinding wedges and, I don't know, anything that people want. That's what my next couple of weeks are. And then after that, I'm out on the road. Well, we're getting into the off-season, aren't we? 
Oh, sorry, have you got many, many of the guys booked in to um, to visit the kingdom anytime soon, next few weeks, I, or is it all just they'll see I you came, on the truck? I kingdomed it last week and, and fit three guys last week, and mm. it's a very strange time because obviously we've got new irons out, so people want to get the new irons, so we're kind of doing that, and then the new woods we don't have, so obviously yeah. we're still running Sim and Sim Max, so everyone is dialed in by now. I mean, if you're not dialed in to your golf equipment by now, you've either A, lost your card, or B, we need <laughs> to be fired. It's as simple as that. So, you know, it, it's West Coast is coming. And for my job, like West Coast is where it's all hands on deck. You literally go every week from Hawaii through all the way to Augusta. So it, it leaves an interesting patch because, I mean, is West Coast going to happen? what's going to happen with COVID restrictions in Hawaii? I think many of us are just sitting here thinking, well, the elections are in November in the United States, and obviously then COVID will fix itself, kids will be back at school, and we'll all move on. Well, is that going to be the case? I don't know. So the PGA Tour schedule, when we look at, we've got November for Augusta, that Augusta champion in November is going to be Augusta champ for five months if things stay as they are. Yeah. I mean, Shane, Shane Lowry's got to be loving life. He's been the champion, champion for two and a bit years. And this poor guy that wins Augusta gets to be the champ for five months. I mean, I, I'll still I'd take be, five months with a green jacket over over none, though. Yeah. To be fair, <laughs> so. I tell you what, though, we need to. Uh, I know you don't talk about tinkering with your your, your gear in in the off season. We need to hook you two boys up because uh, Cal meet Trotty. Cal is our resident tinkerer, and we need to find out what's going on in the bag. This is it still the even roll? What's going on with the putter this week? To be fair, I mean, yeah, it's August was all over the place. I was sort of taking, I was cutting clubs down. I was, especially in the putter department, there's a lot of playing going on, a lot of tinkering. But no, to be fair, I found, um, got myself into an even role for the first time. And I have to say, performed great on Saturday, was good. It's slightly heavier. Um, it's definitely smoothing out the stroke a little bit more. I'm looking at it now, actually. It's looking, it's looking all right. What, um, uh, what, what length is it? 35. Okay. So, but he's a big so what's boy. Your shortest, what's your shortest putter you've got? I've gone down to nothing more than probably 32. But at the same time, I mean, I've, yeah, I've played with everything. When when they were legal, belly putters, everything else. Trotty, so Cal's been through 25 that. putters uh, in the last you, five you'll years. You'll probably remember, you'll, you'll remember one of the ones I had, actually. Remember the one Garcia used in the 2007 yeah. Open at Carnoust there? But yeah, I've yeah. got that. That's That's in the collection still. Yeah, he's was, recently just changed game. from arm lock. He went for arm lock for a little while, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. Tried the arm lock, so I tried the arm lock on a couple of the old bellies, which um, you have to do a bit of bending and everything else, make it work. But... And there was some talk about one length shafts as well this morning on the group as well, Carl. I don't know whether that was a bit of a panic eBay oh, yeah, search that was worse. going in. At no, home. no, no. I luckily haven't panicked. That was just. After a bit of Bryson hype last night, I was thinking, hmm, is the one length something we should be looking at? Or... So are you keeping stats, though? Are you, like, are you monitoring statistically what's working and what's not working? <laughs> oh, this no, is brilliant. In the head. <laughs> so we quizzed him on this, Trotty. We said, right, Cal, what are you keeping? Because he's been through 25 putters in the last five years. That is on record from a few pods ago. Uh, no, but, well, and I've said, what are you doing it for? Like, what are you more. searching for? And he yeah. says, 27 putts. And I said, well, I'll give you 27 putts just miss every green you're guaranteed to get up and down <laughs> yeah, half true, a dozen times true. you're going to get 27 around you but, need to um, get stats without stats how can you make mm. these changes? you know what i'm going to say i'm going to bust your balls on this you can't be making changes unless you've got stats it's as simple as yeah. that 
And then you, you know, bet, it sounds like you're all over the map anyway. I mean, Jesus Christ, we've got even roll in the mix. You're definitely all over the map. But all I'd be <laughs> saying is you've got to keep stats. I mean, even rolls are fine, but you've got to keep stats. If you're not doing that, then you're never going to know. You can't, you know, you know, we'll guess. No, there's, there's pudding stats are there, but, into, but they're basic. So they're pretty much putts per round. Of course, there's anomalies where, you know, you sort of had 25 putts because you missed every green per round, et cetera. But yeah. Um, but that's where you've got yeah. to get back to our boy Mark Brody, and you've got to do strokes gain, and you've got to be keeping like distances. Yeah. And it's there's an app without doing any more tailor-made plugging on here, but there is an app. Really? Not, well, it, Bruce yeah. is using decades. Right. So we're actually moving into the off-season, and um, maybe that's something we'll look at doing because I think now we're into the off-season, we've all got some equipment decisions we're going to have to make, and maybe we can complement that with a bit of stato analysis and we can kind of pick that apart on some future pods with you yeah. if you will Love be. That. I know you're a golf geek, Trotty. I'm sure you will be uh, keen to come on and watch four hopeless amateurs pick their way through some equipment changes and the stats that that, that brings. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Sweet. Mm. Okay, so be before good. we uh, before we shoot off, guys, we need to to mention that dropping this Thursday is our latest YouTube film, which is the one from Cleve Hill. So if you haven't heard of Cleve Hill, you need to. Make sure you, you tune in on Thursday. We're going to drop it Thursday night. Um, we're also going to be dropping out a company and podcast that goes with it from with Sean Arbor and Robin Heisman. Honestly, jump on. It's going to be, it's going to be quite, quite a thing to watch. So, um, until then, thank you very much guys. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, thank you, Trotty. Pleasure to have you back. Always good to, uh, always good to chat it through with you boys. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure maybe we'll hook up after the masters or something and see if we can get some good victories there from the TaylorMade crew. Or anyone that you boys have got money on, that's basically who I root for. <laughs> <laughs> Adios. See you later. Watch this.